everybody. Welcome to another episode of the Universe Within podcast. This episode of the show is being sponsored by my friends over at a company called Real Mushrooms, realmushrooms.com. Um, Sky Chilton and his father, Jeff Chilton. I interviewed Jeff a number of episodes ago. Uh, really interesting guys. I, I really enjoyed that conversation with Jeff. Um, and it's a company that sells and distributes medicinal mushrooms in powder or capsule form. Um, I was really happy to have these guys come on. Uh, I think they're very much in alignment with the, the values of the podcast. Uh, as you all know, a big part of this podcast is uh, about uh, plant medicine, holistic medicine. And I, I think the benefits of medicinal mushrooms are, are truly fantastic. And I think there's really a growing body of work uh, that, that's really showing and alluding to all of the amazing properties that mushrooms have. Um, they sell a lot of different mushrooms, um, things you've probably heard of like reishi, chaga, lion's mane, turkey tail, cordyceps. Um, those are all mushrooms I work with. They, they're, they're part of uh, what I consider uh, for myself a, a really holistic uh, supplement regime. Um, and the, the thing I really love about their company, not only are they really good guys, I think they're really ethical guys, um, but... Um, the, the product is really amazing. It's all uh, 100% mushrooms. They're organic. Uh, and, and that's really rare. For better or for worse, the supplement in this industry is, is highly unregulated. Um, and so often when you get supplements, you don't necessarily know what you're getting. You may be getting some mushroom. You may be getting a bunch of fillers and other things. Oftentimes, even when you're buying what may be a mushroom. It may not have any of that mushroom in it at all, unfortunately. Uh, even some of the big, uh, I think even the biggest company that, that sells mushrooms, actually it's not the fruiting body, not the mushroom itself. It's the mycelial, which is grown on grain, and then those things are mixed up and then sold in a supplement form. So not only are you not getting the mushroom itself, you're getting the mycelium uh, mixed with grain. So um, it's one of the amazing things of real mushrooms is it's exactly that. It's real mushrooms. So it's 100% mushrooms, organic. So you know you're getting a really good uh, product. You're getting the actual fruiting body, the, the mushroom itself, 100% of that. Um, and again, just really great guys. I'm, I'm really happy to have them on and supporting this podcast. Uh, so if you'd like a really good product, uh, you'd like to start working with medicinal mushrooms, um, check out their site, realmushrooms.com. Um, and also listeners of the show. Uh, if you go to their site, realmushrooms.com forward slash universe, you get 25% off your first order, uh, which is a really good deal. And I think once you uh, uh, start working and, and tasting their products, you'll you'll really uh, see and feel a big difference. So uh, thank you to them. And uh, I think that's it. And without further ado, here is the intro to the show. Hey, everybody. Welcome to another episode of the Universe Within podcast. On this episode, I sat down with Joe Moore. Uh, Joe's a really fascinating guy. I was on his podcast, Psychedelics Today, uh, probably about a year ago now. Um, so it was really a, a pleasure and an honor to have him on my podcast. Uh, we got in some really interesting topics. We, we talked a bit about his podcast, Psychedelics Today, uh, Transpersonal Psychology, Stanislav Grof, uh, who's, I, I think, really one of the, the pioneers and uh, really founders of the, the kind of psychedelic movement, uh, plant medicine movement. Um, 
And we talked a lot about uh, drug policy, the the kind of second psychedelic renaissance. Uh, Joe is in Colorado, which is really at the forefront of a lot of that movement, and and really just talking about the the kind of future outlook, what's happening there. Um, the direction that a lot of this is moving, some of the the issues that that come up. Um, we also talked a bit about uh, the environment and, and how psychedelics may may play a role in that. Uh, so it was a, a really good and fascinating conversation, and I think you all will will really enjoy it. Um, as always, if you're able to support this podcast, that's a really big help to me. Patreon is a really good uh, website. You can sign up for as little as a dollar a month. There's different tiers you can sign up for. Those tiers give you different things back, things like early access to these shows, bonus material, Q&As. To all the people who have done that, to all of the patrons, as always, thank you very much for your support. And if you're able to do that, thank you in advance. Um, something I really like about websites like Patreon and, and other platforms like that is they really work on this idea of reciprocity. So if you feel like you're gaining something from these podcasts, learning. Uh, that's a, an amazing way to support this podcast and to support me and continuing to, to bring on these uh, hopefully very fascinating guests. Um, if you're not able to do that, as always, um, helping with the algorithms is a, a really big help. So if you're watching this on YouTube, hitting the subscribe button, turning on the notification bell, liking the video, uh, leaving any questions or comments in the comment section, that really helps with the algorithms. Also, there's video versions on Spotify and Rumble now. Um, and then if you're listening to this on Apple Podcasts, leaving a starred rating and a short review is a really big help, uh, following the show. And also with Spotify now, you can leave a starred rating as well. So uh, I think that's it. Without further ado, here is my conversation with Joe. Running up from the maze, running up from the maze, running out of the maze today. Running up from the maze, running up from the maze, running up from the maze today. Running up from the maze. Running out from the maze Run out of the maze Today Well, cool, man. Well, thank you for coming on. Uh, it was actually a pleasure for me to, to have you on. And, and uh, I was on your podcast, um, I don't know, it was a probably a year, year ago, ago maybe. Now. Yeah. 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 And I really enjoyed it. And I think uh, you all are doing really, really good work over there. And I think it's great just how much that platform has grown and the audience it's getting to. <clears throat> and, uh, you know, I think shows like yours are really important, um, you know, kind of as we talked about when we were on. Uh, I, I'm coming at it a bit more from kind of the, the traditional, more like indigenous side. I, I spent a long time in the Peruvian Amazon and I've always been really interested in. Uh, just kind of esoteric practices and religions and spirituality, <clears throat> although I think that's something you're also quite interested in. Um, yes. But it's been interesting seeing kind of this more modern take on on uh, kind of how these plants and substances are, are moving out of their traditional setting into the world at large, which, you know, a lot of people have different uh views on and, you know, there, there's a whole host of topics that come around that. But but I think for me, in its most basic form, it, it, it's like anything. Like you, you can't stop something that's in motion, and and so how do you, how do you make it really good, and and how do you take all these benefits, which uh, you know are happening 
so much on, on such a big scale. So I think it's great what you're doing. So maybe just to start, you can um, tell the audience a little bit about yourself, uh, your background, who you are, and, and, and some of the work that you do. So I'm a psychedelic podcaster, educator, event producer. Um, I've been studying the space pretty heavily from um, the transpersonal psychology perspective since about 2001, when I started uh, bumping into the work of Dr. Stanislav Groff um, as part of my undergrad. And um, I just ran with it. I took, <laughs> I took the study of psychedelics and the transpersonal and holotropic breathwork far more seriously than I did any of my studies at school. Um, and they were all in tandem. So, um, yeah, I'm from New Hampshire, uh, in the United States originally, uh, grew up on a small little farm. Um, and now I'm living in Colorado. Um, psychedelics today is about seven years old in a couple of weeks. So I'm really pumped about that coming up on 5 million downloads, which is lovely. And congratulations. Um, yeah. Thank you. And we just wrapped our, um, our first cohort of vital, which is our uh, very large training program. We tried to develop something that's, um, in our mind, better than the maps or CIS training. So I think we executed well on that and, uh, we just kicked off round two and we've got about 190 students in there this year. So really pumped yeah. about that. And, um, yeah, what 500 something episodes in our, our podcast, it's not the typical podcast, right? We have like, you know, an individual just wants to, you know, yell a bunch of stuff or whatever, you know, we, we on purpose found less highlighted voices for years to build the field. It was, um, it was too insular, right? It was like, a, you know, three or four clicks that were seemed to be getting most of the attention. And we wanted to really level the playing field and make it, um, more interesting for everybody, including us, right? I love Rick Doblin, but how many times can I hear him say the same story again? Right. It's, um, and he usually adds things, but it's, you know, there's, there's more voices. And, um, that was kind of a founding impetus. And the other founding impetus was really to highlight transpersonal psychology, which was not getting highlighted whatsoever at the point we started in the space. It was, it was a, it was a dirty word. And, um, I think we've done a good job bringing it back and it's inclusive of, all of our practices, all of these esoteric practices and experiences. So it's not like, um, exactly, you know, uh, Western centric, Eurocentric, it's, it's weird states happen and we should be studying them. Things that are hard to explain do happen. And to pretend they don't is, is really ignorant and, um, harmful to lived experience. And that was a really core thing for us as well. Yeah. Hopefully that's enough, Jason. I'm happy to answer other questions though. Yeah. Can you talk a bit about uh, transpersonal psychology? Uh, I would imagine for a lot of the audience, uh, some of them have heard of it, but but I would imagine they don't necessarily have a, a super deep understanding of, of what it is. And, and also Stanislav Grof, because I think he's someone who, I mean, he, he was really a pioneer in this field and, and, and kind of taking you know, we, we talk about the psychedelic renaissance now, but it's kind of like the second psychedelic renaissance because it, it, it really started to happen in, in the 50s, 60s. And, and he was really one of the pioneers of that. And, 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 you know, really in response to eventually the illegalization of some of these substances, but, but finding ways to work, which 
I have a lot of respect for him for that because it's really working within the model that you're allowed to and, and then creating something new from that, which is, I, th I think, quite profound. I, I found this out tragically late in my studies that Stan Groff survived not only um, Soviet occupation of his home city, but also Nazi occupation of his home city, Prague. Um, and I find that amazing um, that, you know, he lived through that. So uh, let's start with transpersonal psychology, though. So transpersonal, I'm going to read a definition from Wiki, and we can kind of riff on it a little bit. So um, transpersonal psychology, it's um, kind of a specialty or subfield in psychology that integrates the spiritual and transcendent aspects of the human experience with the framework of modern psychology. So um, obviously, uh, mid-1800s, psychology wasn't too well-developed, right? And eventually they said, okay, let's just study what is reasonable to study when we, you know, started fleshing this whole field out um, and reasonable kept shrinking, you know, to, to the point where it kind of got reduced to stimulus response. That's all we're looking at. And we're looking primarily at pathology, right? We're not looking at positive or interesting, helpful states, um, generally speaking, right? Because the, the focus of psychology is to, you know, theoretically get well people or sorry, sick people well again. Um, and what about people who have an enlightenment experience? Like, where do they fit in? Like, if we're, if we're really doing psychology, which is the study of the psyche, these things are experiences that happen. Communication with spirits, um, identity with animals, you know, the experience of being the whole planet or rainforest at once like all of these things are the weird experiences that do happen but they fit outside um they're not the average experience for people right like the average experience is like oh i'm kind of upset that i have to go to work or something um or you know I'm still upset about how my mother treated me on christmas or whatever it is um for people and um yeah just being able to take a real look and treat those experiences as real experiences for the humans who who actually lived through that experience and validating it and helping people work with it like that it transpersonal psychology you could think of as is kind of more of a research thing but i think there are plenty of transpersonally informed therapists doing work with people that have these states like there's a there's a whole field now called um uh, spontaneous transformative experiences so you don't even need to be in the jungle. You could be sitting in traffic um, in a suburb of New York City and have a full-blown mystical experience. And we don't know why that happens, but we need, you know, from the therapist's point of view, you should still be able to work with that and um, help people get through that because it can be earth-shattering, just like psychedelic experiences can be. The endogenous mystical states can be equally as you know earth shattering for folks so so that's kind of transpersonal psychology and then stan groff is a um he's a, a czech uh, psychiatrist he um he's coming of age uh, i believe during the soviet occupation it was illegal to own um books by freud at that point he somehow got his hands on one um and uh, he was on track to be a cartoonist, like a Soviet cartoonist. Um, and then read the book all night long. I think it was, um, 
uh, something about dream interpretation. Maybe I, I forget the name of the Freudian book, but uh, it was earth shattering to him. Then he jumped into med school, jumped into psychiatry, started doing very illegal underground Freudian psychoanalysis, which it's funny. Like we can have that kind of um, perspective today on psychedelic work when done domestically in the U S or, or other kind of um, places where it's not uh, legal yet. And he was under impressed and kind of like regretted <laughs> taking the path. Um, really slow, really expensive, really re like kind of obnoxiously onerous Freudian psychoanalysis. And then um, eventually while he's, uh, you know, doing research at one of the hospitals, uh, maybe at med school, maybe right after LSD showed up um, at the lab and they they needed to find things to do with it. And, um, somebody dosed him, uh, while he was under a strobe light, maybe that was entrained to his brainwaves. And as the first light kind of exploded, he had a very large mystical experience and he said, okay, I'm, you know, I think he went in a mechanistic atheist and came out a devotee to Shiva is his turn of phrase there. And what, <laughs> what a transition in, you know, a small, you know, six, eight hour experience and dedicated the rest of his life to it. Um, eventually had his own whole uh, research hospital, I believe, doing inpatient psychiatric care with LSD, had extraordinary results at a period of time where um, progress <laughs> on psychiatric issues is really hard to get. Um, so just endless, amazing stories of healing and transformation of his patients in the hospital. And eventually was able to sneak out to the United States um, got hooked up with some people in Maryland, started working at Hopkins, Spring Grove Psychiatric Research Hospital, a few other places, and um, really, really got a lot of uh, amazing work done there. Then the drug war happened. He had to escape over to Esalen, not escape. Uh, Esalen, uh, on the coast of Big Sur, south of San Francisco, offered him um, a position as like a scholar in residence to write. because He hadn't really written a bunch of books yet about all of his insight and work. And um, that's where he developed holotropic breathwork, which is what I've spent a lot of time with and has been probably my primary healing modality um, through my life. And uh, no drugs, big experiences, as big as many big psychedelic experiences. I think I had a, a accidental 10 to 20 um, hits of LSD overdose once and and my breath, my biggest breathwork experiences were, was bigger than that. So, um, like, I still believe in it, even though we're at psychedelics today here on my side. So, um, really committed to that. And, and one way to look at, um, Groff, he's kind of a synthesis of Freud and Jung, um, and, and Reich and some of that camp too. So it's, how do we, how do we, um, build a bridge between the personal biological lived experience and this transpersonal thing that seems obvious. So it's, you know, what is the map of the psyche? How, how do these spiritual entities or, you know, non-physical entities relate to us? Um, or, or how should we at least interpret and work with them? Um, yeah. So it's kind of a merging of like the spiritual and the matter. So it's like a really, a really interesting framework. Um, yeah, I've, yeah, I'm reeling a little bit, <laughs> but I think that was probably a good starter, a starter dose maybe how do you view that <clears throat> kind of that bridge making because that seems to me like a really 
um, a really important point we're at. I mean, I think often even things like language fail us. We, we, we talk about Western models or traditional models, indigenous models. But I, I think even being interested in someone like Stanislav Grof, I think, as you said, it is already beginning to create that that bridge making like between Freud and Jung, between the shamanic and the more Western psychiatric model. And it, it seems like we've, we've put these things in boxes. I, I mean, even something like the very idea of psyche, we, we seem to have maybe even lost the more traditional way in which that was approached, which, you know, psyche actually referred to, to like soul or spirit or, or this mind-body connection. And and yet we seem to now have like compartmentalized it as to someone sitting on a couch and talking about childhood experiences. And we, we've kind of forgotten in that Greek context, like all of the other things that went along with that. I mean, the the whole idea of a liberal arts education, like like educating yourself on math and science and, and the cosmos and going into Aleutian rites to have a death and rebirth experience. And, you know, it seems like we, we've kind of cut a lot of these things out of our culture. And it seems like we're at an interesting point where I think that bridge making is a very vital part of the, the culture we're, we're coming at. And yet we still seem a bit stuck in like in boxes of, of reducing things and it seems hard to find people who, who can kind of speak to, to different aspects of this and and do that in very important function of, of, of bridge making. Endlessly complex. You know, I like the easy option is for me to just be, you know, disparaging of modern, you know, really well-funded psychology research. And that's not the right move for me. Um, I want to, um, keep trying to put things together and challenging people working in these labs to say, Hey, like perhaps you're excluding data here. And that's not really good science. If, if your theory has bits of data that are, um, that don't, well, if there's bits of data that don't fit neatly into your theory, there's something fundamentally wrong and, and it deserves attention. And, um, you know, the way a lot of these folks deal with it is, well, it's obviously lies or it's obviously delusions and it's not real like nothing that they experienced was real so therefore we don't need to look at it and to me that's troubling and it's um dehumanizing and something that we need to really be careful with um because one thing we should carefully consider is that we're like human experience is one of the most valuable things in the universe in my opinion and um i'm sure there's other things that are more valuable but I don't know about them yet. Um, that and, you know, <laughs> all of the complex genetic uh, diversity on the planet are two most valuable things in my world. Um, and, you know, how do we juxtapose those two really disparate things on top of each other? And it's, it's carefully, it's slowly. And from my perspective, I'm, I don't say things like, oh, Mother Ayahuasca wanted me, you know, to learn this. Like, I don't say that. Um, I'm comfortable when other people say it because like, I understand their experience. Um, I want to stay a little bit model agnostic because, you know, even saying something like that, in a way, puts it in a box, right? It's, I had this experience and it felt kind of like this. I don't know what it was. And how could anybody know what it is, really? Um, but largely they're helpful and they're amazing and there's so much awe that can come from that but then you know how do you 
how do you balance that with, um, you know, cognitive behavioral therapy done in, you know, really ugly, you know, hospital in a city, um, with, you know, perhaps MDMA thrown in the mix. Like how, but that said, even in those ugly hospitals with MDMA doing, you know, a type of therapy that I'm not a super big fan of can have extraordinary results and can have those religious experiences we were kind of chatting about there. And there's, there's so much left to explore um, that I like to say we're at the beginning, like psychology is young as young as hell. Um, Like we barely got rigorous methodologies in place, you know, in the last 40 years. Um, And there's still subpar research going around. So um, I also like to say things like humans have been using these substances just about on all continents for a very long time, many thousands of years. And to suppose that, you know, we, we need this kind of like dehumanizing research before we can use this stuff at scale. Like I always want to challenge that too. Like humans have always had relationship with substance and drugs and other things, sacraments. And, um, that's another thing that I love defending. Um, and I think it's really important. So it's, it's kind of like a cognitive Liberty deal, but it's more, um, yeah, it's, it's probably that. And that I hate identifying as that, but it's, it's kind of true because, you know, and then I start going into the drug war (laughs) from cognitive Liberty and, you know, trying to fight that. So, it's a it's a series of things like because those people can do really boring well-funded research and we can barely fund transpersonal research there's a bias in culture towards that that more um behaviorist like we're just simple soulless animals automatons um like it's easier for them to get that and it's easier for them to like cut us down a bunch so i'm always trying to like stand up for that but but you're right like this is um the juxtaposition is hard but I just think we need to keep pushing and keep reminding saying, well, you know, what about this experience that my friend had without drugs or, you know, you died and you came back and you had a really wild story. Like, what do we do with that? And how do we understand it? And how do we work with it? Um, they often want to reduce it to electrical blips. Um, it's like, mm, I don't know. I, I think neuroscience has a long uphill battle to get to its, you know, goal. I don't know that it'll finally get to its goal, but I, but I applaud neuroscience trying to, because it's going to serve us all, I think globally pretty well in the long term. But yeah, I'm floundering again, uh, going off the rails a bit, but hopefully that touched a little bit of the juxtaposition part. Yeah. So you're in Colorado and and that, that seems to be one of the areas that's really at the forefront of, of kind of this second, what's described as a, a psychedelic renaissance. What would you describe is going on there? And, and why do you think Colorado specifically is at the forefront of this? And, and like, what do you see happening? And, and, and because you know, a lot of people are listening from the States, but not necessarily from Colorado. A lot of people are listening from abroad, from other countries. And, and I think there's a lot of focus, particularly on Colorado, as this kind of uh, experiment of, of, of where these things are going. So can mm-hmm. you kind of just describe, I know it's kind of a big question, but describe what's <laughs> going on there and, and where you see things headed? Yeah. Um, so Prop 122 is a thing that Colorado voters um, 
we're able to uh, evaluate and vote on um, this fall, this past fall, I think it was November. And I think it passed with a 54% uh, margin. And there was a whole um, decriminalized frame where people could do unregulated services um, around psilocybin, mescaline, uh, iboga, and DMT. And um, so, so meaning people could run ceremony and can effectively legally. Like um, this isn't, as we've seen, lowest law enforcement priority. This is straight up. If the cops try to take it from you, if they search you, you could sue the police. And I, I find that extraordinary. And then the second part is um, uh, a regulated frame. So we'd have uh, certified facilitators of different types. We'd have uh, centers to go to testing facilities, certified growers, licensed growers, things like that. One major amazing provision was that doctors, clinicians, um, based on the bill, will have their license protected if they choose to work in this space, whereas in Oregon, that was not the case with their mushroom bill. So I, I think we're going to see really great clinical inclusion as part of this, and that should drive performance and safety a little bit. Um, and what a few more things about the decrim part, it means that I can grow and share um, all of those compounds I, I listed before and plants. Um, this is primarily a plant bill, um, which was the politically feasible thing to do at the time. I'm more inclined towards ultra decrim um, because 100,000 over death, overdose deaths a year is not okay in America, um, primarily, not to mention the prison part. Um, but yeah, so we're, we'll get and there. And with that, with that overdose, the idea being that a lot of those over, overdoses are happening because these substances are illegal. And so people are getting like altered substances or things that maybe not, they might not be what they say they are. And is that the idea? Yeah. And, um, and potency being impossible, right? Like imagine if every ibuprofen you took was like, totally inconsistent so like the standard dose being like 200 milligrams right but what if one pill was 20 milligrams and the next one was 2000 like you could theoretically run into some serious health problems there so that's a big deal um yeah and it the drug war is something that i could go on about forever um and uh but we're seeing progress and what i'm excited about is i'm hearing about policemen being interested in microdosing or doing trauma work um, um, yeah, military communities are, are healing. Um, like we need all these people back. Like we need everybody on the team to, to help with this climate crisis and every other part of our, um, <laughs> multifaceted crisis we're experiencing right now. So how, how this works is people can possess and walk around. Like I could drive all over the state with mushrooms in my pocket, DMT in my pocket, whatever it is. Um, you can't consume in a public space yet, which is a little tricky. So like doing work in the forest could be a little complicated legally, though perhaps you could consume at home and walk out there um, or an Airbnb or whatever it is. Um, but I'm seeing clinics being interested in acquiring property here to to do you know ayahuasca facilitation or, or other modalities. I think Iboga for opiate addiction is gonna be a really big one here in Colorado soon. Um, 
And yeah, that was a, it was a really big battle. I don't know if you watched it from the outside much, but decriminalized nature versus a lot of the more well-funded, better organized groups. Um, decriminalized nature made a one or two page bill that just pretty much said everything should be decriminalized. It did not get much of the vote. Um, I thought perfect would have been if both went through both of the bills. Um, but the idea that peyote should be excluded was really controversial. I, I'm a strong believer that, um, uh, existing states should be trying to get the opinion of what, what native groups live there before pushing groups, you know, laws like this through. And there were specific requests from the native American church to exclude peyote so that, um, it was mainly around a sustainability and cultural respect framework. Um, yeah. Whenever I see like John Mayer on Instagram with like a peyote t-shirt, I go a little bonkers about it. So what we will see is, um, uh, expanded interest in Colorado. People will be moving here similar to what happened with cannabis around, um, kind of like medical refugee status. Like I need help. Like I, I, I met people who had to move cause their, you know, six year old couldn't legally get CBD and, and cannabis to stop their seizures. I'm like, that's crazy. So they had to move to Colorado from a refugee, refugee situation. And we'll get the same stuff with psychedelics for sure. Probably cluster headache community would be one chronic pain community would be a big one too, I bet. So we're going to see that. Um, we're going to see a lot of really wonky black market products coming out. So, you know, chocolate bars that might not even have mushroom or whatever other product they're saying in there because there's no testing and there's no, there's no accountability yet in the market. Um, the market needs to be above board and have the light shown on it first. So that might come, but I think the popularity of these products is going to really push towards us, you know, voting to make these legal, the high end consumer packaged goods, like you wouldn't be able to tell they weren't sold from whole foods in a lot of cases. So, you know, how do we, how do we try to make people safer when this kind of thing is coming? Yeah. You can't, I think, as you said earlier, you can't really stop a moving train like this. Um, you can be a great steward though, and try to help people make better decisions and be safer and kinder to each other. Um, what else is going to happen? There's going to be a really robust facilitation scene here. I don't know what the taxation, like the licensing is going to look like, but I hope they make it workable for people who want to be involved full time and, and doing this stuff that they can afford it. There's some really great equity inclusion. So um, I, I don't know the specifics there, but um, they made it so that no county or municipality could ban these things, these clinics that will be coming from a regulated frame. So there won't be kind of like, psychedelic deserts like you can find your clinic and go get help and that i think should be a <laughs> that should be amazing and um i think uh what else will happen we're going to see some cool innovation as well so not everybody is well enough to even swallow food right um and in oregon the rule was only oral administration of psilocybin i think there's going to be other routes of administration allowed which will be really good because yeah, like not everybody can swallow things or like keep things in their stomach for more than two seconds. Right. Um, so, you know, things like, uh, IV patches, um, intramuscular in injections, like topical creams might be really good. I, there's so much exploration. Like we just don't know, like we've been not allowed to experiment for so long. Um, 
you know, if we, if we look at cultures like, you know, the Amazon, there's so many topicals, there's so many like different kinds of things, eye drops, like there's so much beverages, like even, even rectal administration, honestly, like it, it's kind of like wonky to even talk about it, but there are medical reasons why that's a good route of administration for some people in some cases. So I think we're going to see a lot of really cool development there outside the scope of the FDA, which it's like two, 300 million to push anything through. But I, so I think we're going to see kind of a really interesting market where we can get a lot of, you know, good experience and hopefully learn and, and heal a lot of people. Um, I am a little worried about cost. Like whenever regulation comes in, cost goes up a lot. Um, and they just see it. Uh, politicians often see it as a cash cow and the cash cow nature of it and the taxing schemes force the black market to be more robust legacy market. Maybe is the term we'll use. And, um, we don't want to play this cat and mouse game at scale. We want people to be safe. So I think it's better to keep taxation really low so that people can have more of an interest in being more compliant with, with state law. Um, and it's going to be really complicated because there's um, federal law against what we're doing. So there, there's no really uh, traditional way to get loans, to get buildings or leases or whatever it is you're doing. So there's going to be a lot of really weird business around that stuff too. Um, but I'm excited because it, it's effectively now a sanctuary state for psychedelic religious organizations um, that play their cards right. So I'm really excited about that too. That's kind of long and short of what we'll see in the next couple of years, I think. Um, and it, it'll probably only get weirder from there. And worth noting, we'll, we're probably going to launch a school in Colorado as well. And we, we aim to have really, really affordable education that's you know top tier quality. And and how do you see that relationship uh, transpiring with the federal government? Uh, maybe for for non-Americans, kind of the idea of you know the United States of America was was that there there the idea was a very decentralized system that that you know ultimately the, the individual had the most power and then your community and then the state uh, and really the idea was the federal government had very minimal power especially outside of international issues like the, the the national border and the idea being that states could decide you know essentially their their own fates their own destiny um, but that certainly changed uh, the nature of the federal government the, the nature of people's citizens ideas of of the the, the rights and, and powers of the federal government so with that with that being the case with, with colorado taking this initiative and yet on the federal level all of these substances still being illegal and, and in some cases uh you know class one federal crimes uh where do you see that interplay happening like how is that dance going to to, to transpire mm. <sighs> answer is that there's no clear indications yet as far as i can tell from the feds um i think i think given how much capital and like how much attention is here now in psychedelics the feds are a little bit afraid um i don't know if you caught the case where um a nurse a single mom nurse in Indiana was arrested and possibly going to go away for 10 years and have her child removed from her custody uh, for microdosing, growing her own mushrooms and microdosing for her own mental health. Mm -hmm. Like that was a big flare up. Um, the feds weren't there, but that's, that's an example of what one state was willing to do to a, to a working nurse mother who was worried about health. Um, so, you know, there's still some scary stuff there. 
what I'm seeing most people do is um, try to structure everything so that they can operate very similarly to how cannabis businesses are operating. Um, so you can't do banking. You have to run around with a whole bunch of cash, right? And that's, it's questionable. Um, and, and exposes people to a lot of risk. Like my, my partner used to have to travel with a lot of cash for the cannabis business she was working in. Could you still do banking like on a state level with a bank that's not FDIC insured? There, there are some pathways now. Um, I think there's people working on it, but I'm, I'm not super sure of who is going to accept it. Like I, I don't ever touch plants in my business and we've been shut down by our banks too, which is crazy. Wow. Multiple banks have had big issues with us. Um, so the feds, you know, by not acknowledging it's happening, banks are a little nervous about their status. Like they don't want to lose their status with the feds. So they're just really finicky and they want really risk averse. Um, so, so that's a big deal. Um, there are federal laws in the books where if, if a landlord knows that illegal federally illegal stuff is going on, I think this is Joe Biden's raid at rave act. Um, they can come in and, uh, take all of your property and put you in jail. So like, say you had a, a big farmhouse or, you know, hotel and you were allowing people to do sessions there, the whole thing could be removed from your possession and, um, also face legal and other consequences. So, um, it's a little scary. Um, but that said, people are willing to take this risk. I'm seeing a lot of really brave business people jump in and start operations. Um, domestically and I, you know, Oregon case in point, they're already rolling out facilities and trying to figure that out. Um, I, I wish I had more certainty. I think they're going to stay away from it because there are, um, pretty powerful people in DC who have a strong interest, um, in psychedelics from both healing themselves and healing their family, like case in point, Hunter Biden, you know, big time, um, psychedelic person. Uh, he, He's regularly doing, uh, um, checking back in with 5-MeO-DMT and Iboga, um, tip for his kind of like addiction maintenance stuff. Uh, so that, that's my understanding of it. And there's plenty of others, um, that are doing that too, from the political side, you know, how many rich, you know, political children, um, are going to have substance issues. It's kind of a no brainer, right? You have money and privilege and like, you're going to run into issues with substance at a certain point. And if you, you know have all that access in the world. So there's a lot of influential people there. And and then, you know, on the veteran side, like I, right before we jumped on here, uh, I, I saw something like it, the veterans administration here that takes care of war vets, 22% budget reduction this year, but they're already at 56 suicides a day. Um, and like, how do you, or maybe 45 is the number 45. Yeah. Um, how do they justify that? And, um, there are people that care in the government. I, I did some lobbying recently and we, we, uh, only educated Republican lawmakers, um, and their staff in DC. And the response was very surprising and very positive. As soon as you started talking about moms and veterans, they were all about it. And you just said, Hey, like how, where's the hope in the VA? Like, yeah, you can incrementally get better when your institution's that gigantic, but you're going to need some revolutionary treatments in there. And 
they are interested. I think the VA is operating their own MDMA trials, psilocybin trials. Um, I know for sure there's a lot of veteran groups um, taking people to Peru and elsewhere to consume ayahuasca, which is amazing. Um, and people are getting a lot of help. So I think they see it. There's test. There's plenty of testimony now. Like the Navy SEAL community is really loud. The Special Forces community is really loud. So um, it's changing the mind. But that doesn't mean that U.S. Marshals or the DEA will come in and, and not try to kick up a lot of dust and arrest people and, and cause a scene. Like, I don't know if you caught this right before a lot of the decrim bills went in. In the United States, there was a number of raids. There's a really famous example um, in Denver, Cole. Um, he had many DEA agents raid his apart small Denver apartment with a very, very, very small grow. It's probably 10 DEA agents and dogs in the works. And then um, there's another guy in DC who imported um, San Pedro, which is apparently quite legal to import to the United States. Customs flagged it as peyote. And he received a visit from seven different um it was something like four to seven different government agencies like marshals dea etc all armed with his you know seven-year-old daughter there and and mother in the room too so all at gunpoint for fucking san pedro so this is how the government has responded so like i the answer is i don't know i don't think anybody can really have certainty but I think if we operate with integrity and real care, um, we can try to make sure we're all, you know, safe from the consumer to the producer and provider. Like, I think the the consumer is at the least amount of risk, like the client, but there's still risk, right? I, I just wish it could be a little more calm and straightforward. What I would love to see is a statement from the Oregon and Colorado state government that says, if there is federal intervention here we're going to help you and we're going to defend you um because for a long time california cannabis operators were getting raided all the time by feds even though they were very compliant at the state level um yeah i you know i'm a little extreme but i would love to see you know for instance the state police of colorado or oregon arresting federal agents if they tried to pull something like that um you know it Maybe that's that's too much fantasy, but you know that's kind of like I would love to see that kind of defense, given that the voters said yes, this is what we're doing, and we believe in this. Yeah, that's horrifying. I I, I didn't realize uh, the veteran suicide rate was that high. I mean, that's uh, they were initially saying twenty two, but they recounted like the um the kind of peripheral ones like drinking and driving, mm -hmm. like hard drinking and driving. Yeah, it's pretty terrifying. It's not okay. Do you think, you know, and this is getting into the realm of, of politics, which, is, you know, obviously very divisive, especially in the climate <laughs> we're living in. Um, but, you know, for me, I, I'm very much libertarian in, in, in my line of thinking. Um, and, and, you know, I think a big part of that is, as you said, that, that idea of cognitive liberty. And, and I think for some things we, we begin, you know, th there's a beautiful quote by, uh, he was the most famous samurai. His name was uh, Musashi. And he said, uh, w when you understand the way broadly, you see it in all things. And and I think sometimes... Seven rings or something. Yeah. yeah you know, sometimes 
we need to see something kind of in scale of the craziness of of how certain ideologies transpire and and you know as you said i, I mean just that statistic the, the the suicide of veterans the drug wars that come with that the, the loss of cognitive liberty the the loss of religious freedoms and you know these are all coming from these very centralized ideas of, of how people can live their lives um do you think this this kind of awakening of what is the government's right what what are personal freedoms do you think it's also going to have a, a like a more expansive change where people start looking at other issues maybe in a similar way like like that this is in a way maybe a catalyst of 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 just you know often in this plant work we use this word cosmovision or worldview and you know it, it seems like this could be a catalyst of 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 a very pronounced shift in in our cosmovision i mean much like you were talking about even in in transpersonal psychology that that you know how we look at the world shapes a lot i mean it it literally creates our reality and and we can't know what we don't know but but once there is some kind of cathartic experience, which often can happen from plant medicine, it sets off a chain of reactions where we then start questioning things. And I, I wonder if, if that's something you thought about, that, that this one specific issue, even though maybe on a larger scale, it may seem like a more minor issue, but that it could kind of be the beginning of a cathartic experience of people really just shifting their view on, on, on many different things. That's one of my hopes, for sure. Um, yeah, I, I, I lean on kind of Jamaica for some, some help here. It's, uh, I say things like, um, kind of reveals the Babylon system in a way like, Oh, look, you've been used. You are being lied to. And it's true. And it's, um, unfortunate. There are good players, but even the ones you think are on your team might not be on your team. And that's a really hard thing to swallow, um, for a lot of people. You know, like we have this Democrat president in office right now, and I, I would, I would have hoped that we made a lot more progress on climate. But if we look at something like the Exxon Valdez oil spill, like I don't believe that's been paid for yet and clean, fully cleaned up by a major oil company, um, who also lied to us about climate data <laughs> and put us in a much worse situation than we would than we are in right now so you know i do hope and I, I do think that once we see this kind of like screwing around and 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 influence here it's becoming more apparent every day right by by how divisive american politics are you're getting exposed hard on both sides all the time and i think with the um rapid development of ai surveillance technology no, nothing secure anymore that means they're not secure anymore either like those guys are using signal too, and it's not that clean. So you can, you can definitely, uh, see a pathway towards, um, a more democratic future. given that these aristocrats, plutocrats might, might actually really get exposed for, for the bad stuff they have done and continue to do. And not just us as, you know, citizens getting, you know, pushed around. Um, and, uh, I, I am hopeful that, psychedelics will help shift that narrative and like wait a second why can't i have a chocolate bar like why can't i buy psilocybin mushrooms at the store like at a certain point that's going to happen for a lot of people and i think that will be an amazing day um and um 
Yeah. And I, I lean libertarian too. I just, my only issue is I don't, I don't see how it's going to help with the climate crisis, but that's the only the, the major bubble. But I also, you know, obviously it's not, it's not as clean a story as that. I, I identify more as politically confused um, <laughs> publicly. <laughs> um, yeah. I just, I can't think my way out of the paper bag other than, you know, we all need to come together and be nicer to each other and, and keep, keep developing this, this project we have going, including the philosophy angle, the cosmovision or cosmology or whatever we want to say. I, I used to have like five or six different words for cosmovision. I love them all. I forget them all now, <laughs> but they're amazing to have in the back pocket. Um, but yeah, how do we, how do we make this major shift that we need to make from, Hey, those people are treating us like livestock or, um, like how do we start treating all everybody as humans with their own interests and experiences, inclinations. And, you know, one thing I, I've been thinking about this a lot lately. I was reading a, you ever heard of the author, uh, Dion Fortune, Dion Fortune. She wrote a lot of um, books in kind of Edwardian England, like Victorian England, um, big time esotericist, uh, occultist magician. And she had this line analyzing kind of, um, Christianity in her period of time. And she identified it as kind of like a bhakti yoga, which there's seven other limbs of the yogic path, right? And it's kind of obvious that bhakti yoga is not going to work for all humans. And so like, how do we allow for people to develop their own kind of paths that work for them? Because um, not everybody's going to, you know, fit neatly into a single system, right? Kind of like I'd love uh, Noam Chomsky's uh, framing of anarcho-syndicalism where people can kind of like opt in or opt out <laughs> of that organization, um, that government. Um, I, I love that idea. And it's kind of like direct democracy. It's smaller scale. And that's one of the big problems. We're such a big country here. Third largest country in the world by population, biggest country by GDP and, and carbon emissions, and et cetera. So like, how do we how do we find a way to balance that? I don't know the answer, but I, I know it's something we should really be thinking about. And I often encourage people like, oh, how can you just live outside that system? It's there, but you don't need to conform to it all the time, right? Um, so I, I try to help people brainstorm really interesting ways and partly inspired by kind of like commune culture, permaculture culture and... Um, yeah, some just interesting hippie movements that I've seen, you know, like the Grateful Dead movement, like just, you know, what, 20,000 people just following a band forever and ever and ever. Like, it's kind of amazing. Um, I don't know how much progress they made, but they definitely did some interesting exploration. It, kind of like straw manning the other side, um, you know, one of the, the ideas behind regulation is, um, you know, any... I mean, life in general is, has risk. There's, there's potential downside to everything. Um, and, you know, certainly there was a lot of propaganda with, with kind of psychedelic drugs, uh, recreational drugs. Um, and, but, you know, always one of the arguments was this idea that these things would make you crazy and you die or you'd, you know, go and start raping women or you'd be lazy depending on the time frame, you're either lazy or would make you hyperactive and, and want to rape and kill everyone, uh, depending on what the, <laughs> the propaganda wanted to, to, to put at you. But 
you know, one thing that that I saw with the the marijuana movement, and again, I'm I'm very much for legalization. I'm, I mean, even more than legalization, not criminalization. I just don't think the government should have any say whatsoever. Um, having said that, one thing I, I noticed with the marijuana legalization movement was it seemed like it was being purported as this was a panacea cure all. There were no downsides. There, there, there's no problems in in children smoking marijuana. There's no risk of psychosis, uh, you know, and and those things are just false. And and I think you know more evidence is coming out to show uh, that there are downsides. And again, you have to put things in a relative perspective. I mean, I think in the U.S. It, it's something like 250,000 people are dying every year from pharmaceutical, you know, complications in hospitals. I mean, these are tremendous numbers, which marijuana will never reach anywhere near that. I mean, not even a fraction of it. But also to pretend like there are absolutely no downsides, I think is also disingenuous. So where do you think is that line as these, you know, for lack of better terms, psychedelic medicines become more mainstream or more public? Where do you think, or if there is any kind of obligation on people like myself, like yourself, people who are involved in this community to uh, to point out the downsides, to 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 think about things like safety, to to educate people on what are the potential risks? Are there certain people who shouldn't be working on this? Um, is there any way to have a completely safe environment? Is that even actually a, a realistic goal, or do we have to accept, you know, a certain level of of inherent risk in that? Right, like safety is a fiction. It's not. It's not real. Um, and you know, if you think TSA and the United States is keeping you safe, it's probably not. Um, it's it's a it's a theater. It's a theatrical <laughs> um, project, and. Um, it's unfortunate to have to say stuff like that. And, you know, if you want to go to the extreme, just as an example, like asteroid could hit tomorrow. We don't know. <laughs> and, and, you know, was that LSD safe? Didn't matter. <laughs> um, so another point, like the, the establishment and the DEA and other organizations like dare and whatever their European equivalents were, did a multi-decade, multi-billion-dollar campaign of lying and misinformation, and we need to now dig our way out of that. And um, we do need honesty. Uh, a lot of people go too far the other way and want to say, "Oh, there's no harms, there's no risks." Like I was, I was chatting with a gentleman the other day from Gabon, and he was suggesting absolutely zero risk from Iboga, and I'm like, "Like maybe." I would have to like really dig into some data here, but I know there's some really serious, scary cardiac stuff that can go down. So, um, you know, leaning on the data, this is where science becomes really, really important. Um, because the politicians I was talking about were really impressed when you drop names like UCLA, um, Hopkins and, and other major organizations, right? It's, um, it's a balancing act, but, you know, I always point towards the David Nutt harm scale. Are you familiar with that one from the Lancet maybe a decade or two ago? Uh -huh. Yeah. Um, it got him fired from the UK government. He was the drug czar of the UK at the time. Um, and it showed that alcohol was the most harmful to self and others. And psilocybin LSD 
were the least harmful. And this was just ranking like the most common, commonly used substances at the time in the UK. And um, how, like, orders of magnitude smaller harm. Like, people should go check that out. Lancet, David Nutt, um, drug harm scale. And you'll find some really amazing graphics about, like, the relative harms. And, you know, if we're saying alcohol and nicotine are fine, um, everything's safer than them, according to David Nutt, should be immediately decriminalized and then working towards a safe, regulated frame so we know what we're getting. Um, like, the biggest harm here comes from ignorance, both on the education side and um, ignorance about what we're actually being sold and consuming. Um, you know, if every MDMA pill was the same dose, people would be a lot safer and there'd be a lot less hospitalizations. Same thing with, you know, LSD, there'd be a lot less hospitalizations from people panicking if they knew exactly the dose. Um, and similarly with mushrooms, it would be nice. Like mushrooms are incredibly variable batch to batch, like a super big support of home grows. I'm never going to change on that point, but you know, I, people need to be aware of the fact, and this is an education problem that there's so much, um, potency difference, even mushroom to mushroom, like in the same tray. Um, and likewise in ayahuasca, like when we say we think we know what ayahuasca is like ayahuasca is like thousands of things. It's not, there's not one ayahuasca, right? It's like, each tradition has their own blend and brew process and added mixtures and ways of serving it. And so, so much like even the aging process, like I'm a little freaked out about aged ayahuasca, you know, let's get, make a really moldy product, skim off the mold, boil it and serve it. it's like, I don't, I don't want to like denigrate that as a practice. Like I think there could be some interesting magic that happens there, but I, I would want the users to be informed about that. Um, far before they even wrote a check right to go just um it, it seems risky from you know for, from a number of different perspectives for a, a weak western biome <laughs> to jump into one that's so you know strong in the amazon or yeah so like it, it's all over right and it's it's about education and it's about fighting our way out of again a multi-billion dollar multi-decade campaign of lies and violence against our people yeah. Um, in our religious movements and, you know, what we think is right and should be available to everybody. Um, so yeah, it's kind of, <laughs> that's the mission. And that's kind of like, a, yeah, I, how do we fight our way out of that? And that's a really big deal. And, and fairly too, like, let's not go so far as we're the ones doing propaganda. Um, I don't, I don't know how to do that for everybody. I know how to do it for me. So I, I think really carefully. Um, when I'm trying to speak truth and then there's like gradients of truth, right? It's like, how much does this person really need to know? Do they really need a 50 minute lecture right now? <laughs> or, you know, how do we communicate such dense, dense stuff in a short period of time? I don't, I don't know the answer there, but it's, imp it's important to ask, I think. One of the points that you, you mentioned that you you feel quite passionate about is is as you described it the climate crisis and um, you know one of the I, I think the points that you you speak about is the environmental impacts uh, of or through psychedelics so is that maybe something you can talk about and and also I find it interesting but because I think for many reasons it seems like there is a symbiosis happening where as certain things are happening on a massive scale, 
there is the emergence of these these plants or psychedelic medicines and and you know even for like from a, a more traditional or esoteric point of view like as above so below like n none of these things are inherently disconnected um and so do you think the emergence of a lot of these plant medicines or psychedelics is actually one of the remedies for that? Because it, you know, again, people's experiences are, are so different. And, and so it's hard to, to stereotype any, you know, any of these plant medicines and, and the experience that people are going to have. But it does seem like a fairly common archetype is that people do have some sort of experience where they realize that they're not inherently disconnected that they realize that the earth, that the universe is magnificent, much greater than they ever thought, that there is this interconnection between things, that that they can maybe communicate with insects or plants, and that there's other life forms that 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 have a consciousness that's maybe different, but but not necessarily better or less than. And you know, it, it just seems as we we're talking about, it seems to shift the cosmovision of people into a more holistic worldview which you know is also the root of healing which is where so much of this kind of psychedelic culture is is emphasizing is this idea of healing and to be healed means to be whole and and i think part of that holistic view is is realizing that i am deeply interconnected with my environment and you know like without getting on the political side like what are necessarily the remedies of that like it it seems like there there maybe is something that's happening with the plant medicines that is in essence, reconnecting us to, to maybe something that we've been cut off from that, that that we had always had access to, but that potentially that was even one of the main aspects of these plants was that relational aspect of of ourselves and our environment. So there's a lot there. Um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> there's this uh, Jim Fadiman book, uh, My Symphony of Selves or something like that talking about how there's we contain multitudes of selves um and it depends on the lens and the day my opinion on a lot of this like i think from a certain perspective like i am the earth we are the earth like we're no different from nature we are we are nature and and you know not only that like we i i am the same thing as mars or the milky way or whatever it is right like bigger and bigger scales and and you know i can get that esoteric and i like to do that but i'm also like uh you know what does this climate crisis project about what's going on inside of all, all of our hearts and souls and um tumult yeah it's it's forcing a physical crisis to make us get on the right track again and um Sam Gandhi published a paper uh, a few years back about um, nature relatedness after psychedelic experience. And that was a really good one. I think that might be the only paper still on that topic. And it was a relatively small sample size, so we can't like lean on it fully. But in my lived experience, it seems that as though when people are consuming psychedelics on a, you know, occasional, if not semi-regular basis, their environmental awareness grows. And they're they're more in tune with this and they say oh like hurting that forest also hurts me and my family and people that come later like that whole seven generations thing um and yeah the relational thing like what is my relationship to that to you to everything else i'm questioning it like that's a it's a big process that can get kicked off by psychedelics not always but often and um yeah it's a it's a fascinating question 
you know, are, are these things coming about now to say, Hey, in order to get through this outrageously tight thing, you know, it's kind of like a, like a Luke Skywalker death star situation almost like we've got, we've got a shot, but we've got to take it really well. And, um, psychedelics kind of are, are showing that, right? Like some of, some people are going down with it, but most people are soaring and growing and becoming more amazing with the use of these things. Um, but yeah, some people do, you know, dip out, but it's, um, yeah, it's a really hard thing. Like maybe like on a good day, I'll say yes. On a bad day, I'll say maybe. So yeah, like, like I lean towards the yes and affirmative that, the timing seems re really interesting here on that. Um, and then, you know, you know, what, how should we be in relation to these things as a, as a species? It's a really big question. I don't have the right answer. I'm very curious on other people's opinions. Um, often I'll disagree, but you know, um, if flying is one of the worst things for it, for the planet and like one of the worst things we can do, it's not exactly true. Everybody like trying to decrease militarization, I think would help more than you taking a couple flights <laughs> every year. Um, and, and, and trying to get green infrastructure in place everywhere. Like that's probably better <laughs> than, than abstaining, but it's a pretty major impact to like fly a lot of people to, to do these ceremonies around the world. Um, and we have to really think carefully about that. Is that really what we want? Is that, is that the right thing to scale? Um, and then, that's why I'm hopeful about things like Colorado and Oregon making making it closer to home for a lot of people. Um, really, really hopeful about that. I, I just hope we can execute well there. Um, and you know, perhaps in a couple of years we'll have hydrogen powered planes, and then we don't have to worry about it as much. I know there, there's plenty of R and D going on there. So, yeah, this is all transitional. Everything's in flux. You know, all is all is flow. Panaria, I think that was Heraclitus. Like, how do we, how do we just understand? Like, the only permanent thing is change, and like you're clinging to the old might be hurting you and hurting others around you. And um, yeah, I think that's the relational piece. Like, then that'll you know help us move forward. Like, you know, do you really need that gigantic truck? Like, you work at an office. Like, what are you doing? Like, couldn't you have like an e-bike instead that weighs one one thousandth the weight? <laughs> um, it doesn't require direct, you know, petrol in there. Like, so there, and this is the relational piece that I think eventually will, will come to a head. People will want to mature. People will want to be kinder to everybody, I hope, and see that these division lines, like Israeli-Palestinian, it's not like, we don't have to think of each other as so different. Like, you're all human. You know, you might have your own stories, but let's like try to heal these things and heal the other parties. And, um, like in America, I'm seeing us like apparently getting torn to shreds over like, um, political division and further extreme political opinions and positions. And like Florida is a case in point. It's like, I, well, the best thing from this whole Florida situation, I don't know if you're watching it all, it's getting really ugly down there. Like some of my best friends are moving back to Colorado. I'm like, oh yeah, hell yeah. But I'm sorry you had to leave everybody down there. It's a real bummer. But, you know, how do we, hmm, how do we constantly reflect on our relationship to the world? I think that's a practice that could be really good. Like, 
Yeah. And asking those basic questions. Who am I? Where am I coming from? Where am I going? What should I be doing with this life? I think asking those questions is pretty important, fundamental to, to us, you know, getting through this climate thing. You know, I don't, I don't want to see more martyrs, you know, like I've, I've martyred myself in the past. It's not all that fun. Um, and there's ways we can do this in a more holistic frame and, you know, fit in play and rest and, and connection and the rest of it. Right. It's, um, yeah, it's, it's something that we're going to have to work hard to do, but I think we can do it. And I think psychedelics can, and will play a big part of it. And there's so many people out there that think psychedelics are the, are the thing that can help us through. That's a very common thought. Like, I don't want to be super dogmatic about that, but I, I believe in large part that there's a lot of truth there. Can you talk a bit about the, the school you're starting? Cause I think that's a really interesting idea and, and I would imagine something that that's going to be kind of part of more mainstream culture going forward. So I think it's very, you know, very interesting, uh, actually starting something like that up. So what are your ideas with that? What, what would like the curriculum look like? Who, who would that appeal to? Mm. Well, just like everything, it's a process. Um, so to start what we did last year was, it's effectively like a liberal arts education in psychedelics. We don't want people to get too niched out in our programs. We can add in the niche material later once you have a broad survey understanding and it could be a kind player in all these areas and um, helpful player and then you know you can add on ifs or individual substances later to your your toolkit if that's what you're going to do um and we are interested in opening a real deal school um to start that'll probably be like postgraduate certificates and then graduate degrees and then hopefully we can do some like undergrad stuff as well and um, like I'm not in love with all that naming and like conventional stuff, but it's the system we have right now. And we can be transitional by design, hopefully towards something that feels better for everybody. Um, and yeah, like my, my hope would be that we can merge in ecological thinking with psychedelic thinking with, you know, um, better ways of parenting and being <laughs> and, and kind of, um, develop some really interesting and helpful folks in the world. And, uh, yeah, so far in, in our first year, we gave away $211,000 of scholarship, all self-funded at first. We got maybe like 10 or $15,000 from some partners to help with that. Um, and then, um, this last round, I think we did over half a million dollars us in scholarship, um, wow. with, uh, you know, not a proportional student increase. So, um, more than double this year, which is great. So like, I want to keep access going. I want to, you know, help with diversity because it doesn't really move the needle if it's only white folks here, right? We need people of all, um, walks of life and, and backgrounds to be a part. So that's kind of what we're looking at. I think it'll be in Colorado. Um, if, if we can develop the vision further in the next couple of years, that'd be amazing. I, you know, I, I just want to keep getting people in our, in our fold. And another thing we've been doing is, is finding really cool players in the space who are educators already to come teach on our platforms and we can make it easier for them and, um, hopefully more lucrative and, and, um, get their message out in a bigger way. So we've had some partners, um, join our platforms there. And 
um, that's been really nice. So I think we're, we're doing a neuroscience course, a microdosing course, and we've done some history programs in the past that have been really good. Um, and I'm hopeful to just keep building that out um, and make sure the instructors are well compensated too. I, there's a lot of um, clinicians that'll teach um, continuing ed courses and you know they'll get like 20 bucks for teaching. And that's like, that's not enough. It's really unfair. And we want to kind of like shift that dynamic back to making sure people are taken care of in a good way. Um, yeah. You know, it's, we're a for-profit operating like a nonprofit, but um, I think, you know, hopefully that works in the long run. Well, great, Joe. This was a pleasure. Um, I know we're coming up on our uh, our time slot, but um, are, are there any topics we didn't touch on that you'd like to, to talk about? Mm. There's one, one final one. The Psychedelic Medicine Coalition is an, a group that's really important to me. And um, this is me being a, a walking contradiction, but I, I know it and I'm aware of it. <laughs> but I think um, science funding from the federal government is one of the most critical things that we can resource to help people and improve drug policy largely. Um, and Psychedelic Medicine Coalition is actively lobbying um, Congress every day to get science funding into universities, into um, independent research groups and elsewhere so that we can have a better understanding of what's going on here with these substances and get better buy-in long-term from politicians and industry and elsewhere to radically transform healthcare and, and spirit care, honestly, as if they're different. Um, but how do we, how do we move that forward? It's through science and, and, and careful lobbying about, um, the right way to do this at the federal scale. And they've also spun up a pack, which means that people can donate money there to get important politicians, strategic politicians for our movement elected um, to, to help keep this psychedelic, you know, thing progressing. Um, and worth noting too, like this is psychedelics. This is not drug policy as a whole, like drug policy as a whole, wildly racist. The sentencing disparities, disparities are incredible. Like, I can get caught with cannabis and cocaine and get a $20 fine. Um, if you're black, you could spend 20, 30, 40 years in prison, right? It's, it's a really tough scene. So, you know, that's the bigger thing that we need to change and move on. But in the meantime, let's do what's more politically practical, which is get science funding for this stuff so that we can help more people, keep people more safe and um, keep healing the planet after we all get healed and get back on our feet. Cause a lot of us got knocked down hard and, can't get back up for a lot of reasons and psychedelics can help. Yeah, it's probably good. So the psychedelic medicine coalition, it's an organization that, that mm -hmm. uh, like various experts in their field participate in to try and forward this government, uh, scientific funding. Yeah. Yeah. And it's headed by a, um, lobbyist, Melissa Lavasani. Um, it's a, it's a nonprofit. It's a 501 C7 or something or C6 that allows for lobbying dollars um and and spend and yeah that's a nonprofit, and i'm a board member there um jesse gould from heroic hearts tom Zuber from super lawler ryan costello former republican congressperson's a board member there um it's a number of really amazing folks are on the board and working to make that happen and then there's also a big advisory board so um i think like matt johnson from hopkins is there um yeah, the head of microdose is on the advisory board. So it's a lot of really interesting 
um, folks there trying to move it forward. And largely we're just saying we need science funding. We're not telling you what to spend that on. We're just saying we need the funding. And the suicide, the veteran suicide number is a really easy point to say, Hey, like the VA is not preventing all these suicides. We need different and better inter interventions. And these things might really help. Yeah. Yeah. Great. If people are interested in, in reaching out to you or learning more, listening to psychedelics today, maybe more information in the school you're starting, the psychedelic medicine coalition, what are, what are ways that they can go about doing that? Yeah. Follow me on socials. Um, largely Jomo 137, J O M O 137 on Instagram, Twitter, um, not super active on Facebook, but follow our company pages too. psychedelics today. Um, Twitter had a character limitation. Uh, so we're like psydelics today. <laughs> um, I had to figure that out and, um, yeah, our email list is pretty good. We've got some free classes if people want to check out some things on basic psychedelic harm reduction. Um, I think we've even got one on starting your own church in America, which is pretty cool. Um, it's not exactly a playbook, but you get a lot of legal opinions from a bunch of different, um, really smart attorneys, um, in that one. And, um, yeah, it's probably good for now, but yeah, just stay tuned to us. Subscribe on Spotify or wherever you listen. And yeah, we put out two episodes a week. So, uh, maybe more sooner than later. Well, great, Joe. Well, thank you for coming on and, and sharing it. It's been a pleasure. And, uh, yeah, I think you have a fascinating mind and you're, you're up to a lot of really good work. So I, I thank you for your work and, and coming on and sharing and, and, and I wish you all the best. Yeah. Thanks so much for having me, Jason. Appreciate it. All right, everyone, that is it. I hope you enjoyed that episode. Uh, it was really a pleasure for me to, to sit down and, and have uh, Joe talk. I think he's doing some uh, really amazing work and, and very much involved in, in this kind of emerging field. Uh, so yeah, I hope you all really enjoyed that. And, and again, it was really a pleasure for me uh, to have him come on and share. Um, as always, if you're able to support this podcast, that's a really big help. Uh, Patreon is a really good option. You can sign up for as little as a dollar a month. There's different tiers you can sign up for. Those tiers give you different things back, things like early access to shows, bonus material, Q&As to all of the patrons, to all the people who are supporting that way. As always, uh, thank you very much for your support. Um, and if you're able to do that, that's a really big help. I, I really like the idea of, of sites like Patreon, which are based upon this idea of reciprocity. Uh, so if you feel like you're gaining something from this podcast, that's a, an amazing way to give back. Um, if you're not able to do that, as always, helping with the algorithms is also a really big help in uh, getting this show out to a bigger audience. So if you're viewing this on YouTube, hitting the subscribe button, turning on the notification bell, liking the video, leaving any questions or comments in the comment section, that's a really big help. Um, there's also video versions on Rumble and Spotify now. Um, and then with the audio version... Uh, Apple Podcast is still the big one, so following the show and leaving a starred rating and a short review, that's a really big help. Um, also with Spotify now, you can rate the show, which uh, also very much helps. Um, this is maybe the last of a series of interviews I'm shooting before I head off to Europe uh, to begin working. Um, I'm hoping to get a guy, a local Cardo guy on named Victor, but I'm not sure if that's going to happen before I leave, but if not, it'll happen when I get back. Uh, and also another local guy named Andrew, who's really into different esoteric practices and a really fascinating guy too. Uh, so hopefully those will be the, the next episodes coming out. 
Um, and so I think that's it. Uh, I hope this finds you all well. Thank you all for the support. Thank you for tuning in. I hope you enjoyed this episode and I will see you all on the next one. <laughs>